the best way I know how to describe Ben Crenshaw is simply say, look at our company name. Tell me one other major championship winner with an unknown golf course architect who would form a partnership and call it by the other guy's name first. It didn't happen. It wouldn't happen. So He has every right to be up first. I follow Bill. I'm glad, I gladly follow Bill. Put another logo on the fire Nobody here is getting tired This is The Fire Pit with Matt Janella. The sixth episode of The Fire Pit is part one of the people, places, and things that had an influence on what Bill Corr and Ben Crenshaw have become as architects, how and when they met, who was involved, and why it works. We start with Sue Corr, Bill's wife. I say Ben Crenshaw, you say? Bill Corr, because that is my connection to Ben. But I really think of Bill and Ben as brothers. I swear they came from um, uh, the same mother because they are so similar in temperament. They're so, so similar in graciousness. They are, they don't pay attention to things together. They pay attention to things together and I think they make each other better. Next, we hear from Julie Crenshaw, Ben's wife. I say Bill Core, and you say... Genius. Reminded me a lot of Ben. Very quiet, very polite, soft-spoken, uh, I can see why they have a lot in common. Uh, they are kindred spirits, I can tell you that. In this era of golf course architecture, I believe Core and Crenshaw are the most consistent and thoughtful builders of the fun and fair adventure we seek as avid amateurs. They move very little dirt and yet extract so much soul from the land that they leave behind. I've been fortunate enough to chronicle the development of almost half of their portfolio. I've heard them preach restraint, celebrate strategy, and I've watched them walk raw land in search of the ideal routing. Bill is always out front, while Ben tends to fall behind, stopping on occasion to ask questions and flush out the options. As they build their 30th course in their 35th year of being partners, their body of work includes Sand Hills, Friars Head, and Colorado Golf Club. Some of my favorites are Lost Farm, Cabot Cliffs, and Bandon Trails. Some of their restoration work on iconic venues includes Cypress Point, Seminole, and of course, Pinehurst No. 2. The Sheep Ranch, the sixth course at Bandon Dunes, and their third for Mike Kaiser's Oregon Resort, opens on June 1st. Julie and Sue will be used throughout this episode, as well as Rod Whitman, a longtime associate of Corin Crenshaw, who has almost 10 courses to his credit, one of which is Cabot Links in Nova Scotia. We also hear from Scotty Sayers, Crenshaw's childhood friend, and the one who makes sure this partnership is also a business. Did you ever think you'd be getting together on Skype to uh, have a conversation reflecting on your career and the beginning of what has become uh, Core and Crenshaw? <laughs> I tell you what, Matt, if it weren't for Julie and my wife, Sue, we, we wouldn't be here today, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Julie Crenshaw confirms. 
they're like brothers. They, they how they think. They both don't have emails. You know that. Um, you you can get them to call. You can get them to text. Um, but they do it the old school way. Everything about them <laughs> is old school. Bill Corr was an only child raised by a single mom who worked multiple jobs to support the family and any of young William's dreams and aspirations. Sue Corr shares some perspective. I think that he had the most amazing mama on the planet. She just encouraged him to be the best at whatever, whatever he wanted. He came home and said he wanted to be a, an astronaut. She'd support that, be the best that you can be, whatever he wanted to be. Um, his, I, I'm just sorry that I never met her because she raised an incredible man. As for designing backyard golf holes, if his mom was home, he told me the routing tended to go around the house. If she wasn't home, he often went over the house. Well, Matt, you're right. I grew up out in rural North Carolina, and my next door neighbor played golf, and he introduced me to it. And uh, there were he was really the only close neighbor, so we would play around through the, our backyard, his backyard, to the to the mailbox, and out across the dirt road where we lived, and even in through the cornfields when they were uh, plowed under. So we'd make up our own holes and things. But uh, I would caddy for him, and. Uh, on some very special occasion, uh, he would go to Pinehurst. So he is the one who introduced me to Pinehurst. And then later when I was in high school, and then of course in college, I'd go there on a far more regular basis. But it, uh, uh, they, were, they were fun times. And they were you know, the, the cornerstone of what I, my introduction to golf and my introduction to what uh, interesting golf architecture was all about. Sue Core shares some perspective. Um, Bill wasn't raised with a, a father, uh, and uh, his parents were divorced when Bill was quite young. And there were lots of men who took over that that position and really cared for Bill and really nurtured Bill. And his mother was smart enough and confident enough to encourage all of that. As for Ben Crenshaw, he grew up in Austin, Texas, navigating Lions Municipal and the old Austin Country Club, which was a Perry Maxwell design. The places where I was playing started me on uh, kind of thinking about golf courses. One of my first sort of road trips was Brackenridge Park in San Antonio to play in the Texas State Junior. It's an old Tillinghast course. Uh, very tight. I mean, there were a couple of holes there. You had to thread the needle. Big pond trees. But uh, it started me thinking about different golf holes. And then when I started traveling, I said, golly, I've, I've been treated to some wonderful examples. So I, I just always, I was always kind of fascinated about golf courses and how they were laid out. And then when I went to Boston when I was 16 to play in the National Junior at the Country Club, it just blew my mind. I wanted to know who built the courses, who was behind, <laughs> you know, the organizations, the history of the game, the players, I just, from then on, I just started studying everything I could find. Although Bill Coor was intrigued by the concept of golf course design, it was Pete Dye who inspired more digging. I knew I liked certain courses and certain yeah, things, and I'd try to figure out why, but I, I really wasn't that much into it. 
And when I saw what Pete was doing, a little public course called Ocala in High Point, I just said, gee, this is different. I wonder how you do this. And obviously I was about to get out of the army. I was single. Um, <laughs> I didn't need any more money. Fortunately, working for Pete, you weren't going to make much, but um, <laughs> didn't need any more than whatever it took to, you know, to keep myself alive. And so, yeah, that's how you get to that, that uh, um, I began to basically just badger Pete. To, I thought, I'd like to see how this is done. And in the beginning, it was with the intention, I'd just like to see how you actually create one of these things. And I was always thinking, after that, I'll go back to graduate school. Well, obviously that didn't happen either, but it's, uh, for my whole, my whole career has been a very circuitous, almost in so many ways, unplanned uh, journey. As for meeting Jack Nicholas at the 1971 U.S. Open at Marion, Ben Crenshaw had what you'd call a spontaneous plan. I was changing my shoes in the locker room and somehow Jack walked in by himself and I said, oh my God, here's my chance. I've got to go, got to go meet him. So I followed him upstairs and there was a restroom up there. So I said, oh, I got him. I got him now. So I went, I said, the restroom. So I stuck out my hand. I said, Jack, I'm Ben John. He said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll be with you in just a minute. <laughs> so, but that was my first meeting with Jack. I admired the way he played, everything else, but I knew at that point, he was just starting to get into golf course architecture. So I I thought, well, I, that's that's pretty neat right there. And he, uh, ironically, you know, he worked with Pete Dye at, the Har at Harbortown, although minimally there. Yeah. And then he sort of knew that he was, he could do, both uh, jobs as a, a obviously world-class golfer and, and then obviously pursue architecture too. And he had a true love and a passion for it. But Jack was, you know, that's a lot to take on in a career business-wise and playing, but they seem to juggle it like Arnold Palmer did too. After chasing down Pete Dye a few times in the early 70s, Bill was watching the local news, which reported Dye was going to be building the Cardinal in Greensboro, North Carolina, not far from where Bill lived. They were talking about that Pete Dye was going to be in town. They were going to start this golf course. So I'm thinking, God, he didn't even call me, you know, <laughs> tell me he's coming. So anyway, I drive out there and he's, he's, he's with a guy named John Gray, who was Pete's construction foreman there and associate and. uh, he just finally said, John, find something for this guy to do. He just wanted to get rid of me. And you're right, Matt. I started with a pair of hip waders and a chainsaw. While Ben Crenshaw was having success on the course, Core was going course to course with Pete and Roy Dye, which is how he ended up in Huntsville, Texas. Is Waterwood the course that, that Pete kind of left you at and said, you know, you'll be the superintendent here? Is that <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Matt, that's a very kind way of putting it. <laughs> he got rid of you. Pete sent me to work with his brother, Roy, supposedly to help Gary Grandstaff, who was the golf course superintendent and worked for Roy, um, to help Gary uh, finish Waterwood National. While in Huntsville, 
Bill met Ron Whitman, who was a Canadian going to school at Sam Houston State. Bill quickly became a mentor and a friend. Well, I didn't have any money, so Bill always bought the pizza. <laughs> and uh, I mean, we played golf. I just got to hanging out with him on the weekends at Waterwood. And, you know, Bill was out there seven days a week. And, uh, you know, over time, we just got to play a little golf together and, and, and hang out. And, and I just loved being around him. And he would talk about golf course design and you know, I was just trying to play golf at that time. I had no aspirations to become an architect, but uh, the subject uh, fascinated me and he was very passionate about it. So that's, uh, he had some old books that I could start to read and some notes that he'd made when he worked for Pete. And uh, I, I became fascinated with the subject and then certainly just talking with Bill, it was, uh, it was inspiring to think about the old courses and, and golf course design in general, which I'd never, you know, paid much attention to. Now in the early 80s, still in Huntsville, Bill gets a call from Pete Dye. He needed a guy in Austin, and he needed him now. Oh, we were out doing some work, I think, on the ninth green, and uh, he got a call from, from Pete. Pete wanted somebody to go to Austin and, you know, as he said later, dump trucks, you know, just watch the dump trucks dump him where to dump and that sort of thing. He took the phone call, came back out and asked me if I wanted to go to work with Pete. And I just, I was so damn nervous. I, I could hardly talk. And uh, after a little bit, I, I, I certainly agreed to it. And uh, he made the arrangements, had to rent me a car. And I, and I uh, you know, drove out to Austin that day. It all happened very fast. So Rod is now working for Pete Dye. Bill had worked for Pete Dye, and Ben was keeping an eye on Pete Dye. You know, when I was in Austin at the Austin Country Club, uh, Pete would come to town and then, you know, he would have visitors. I mean, Tom Kite would come out there and Ben Crenshaw would come out there. And, uh, you know, they, they'd, they'd walk around and try to hang out with Pete a little bit and, and, and just watch him work. And... Uh, so when he did come out there, I mean, obviously I got a chance to meet him because I was part of that entourage. And, uh, you know, Pete told me, he says, you know, Ben's coming out here. He says, just, just listen to him and do whatever he wants, he said. So <laughs> it was sort of uh, an interesting time. I was told by Rod Whitman, who was Pete Dye's foreman, and I'd gotten to meet Rod, and I'm really interested in what he was doing. I saw Pete many times. They both mentioned, he said, you know what, you, you, you need to meet Bill Coor. You need, to meet, you need to meet Bill Coor. I really think that you'd like him. I would go back and forth to uh, Huntsville every now and then and talk with Bill. And, and, I, and I told him that I'd met Ben. And I thought, man, this guy is, is, is just a really nice guy. He's a really cool guy. He's interested in design. And, and uh, you know, I just... I just know that talking to Bill, that I mentioned that, you know, it would be nice if he, if he met him. The seeds had been planted, but before they met, a man named Dave Carey helped get Bill his big break down on the Gulf Coast of Texas, four hours south of Huntsville. He said, look, we've known each other now for a few years. He said, uh, I know you're the superintendent here, but I know really what you'd like to do is be in the golf course design business. He said, this may be the chance. And he, he took me down 
Rockport Country Club, interesting enough, was in the middle of building their first nine holes. And for some reason, I've never known what happened, but there was some, as they say in Texas, a falling out between the, uh, the owners and the golf course architect. And so they just dismissed him on the spot. But here they are, they're digging lakes, they're doing, they're working on this nine holes and they've got no one in charge of their design. So I guess Dave Carey from Waterwood knew this, he takes me down there, introduces me. And so they're on the spot. They say, well, you're supposed to know something about this. We need somebody. This is the maximum you can spend. And if you want the job, you go out there and figure it out and it's yours. I guess I was so naive. And so I, as they say, walked into the deep end of the pool and paddled around a bit. Even with his raw talent and ambition for architecture, Bill Core couldn't go it alone. He called upon Jerry Clark, AKA Scrooge, who had been helping him with coursework at Waterwood. And so when Rockport came along, I said, Scrooge, you want you want to go? You want to go with me and try it? See if we can make something out of this? Yeah, buddy, I'll go with you. And and so we, the two of us, go down there, and and we we start working on this. It's basically just two of us to start with, and then another guy who lived there named Mike McKay, who ended up working with Ben and me for years. And it actually became the the nucleus or the cornerstone map of even the guys that we have today. Because wow. Jerry, Jerry Clark and Mike McKay trained like Jimbo Wright and, and, and Dave Axlin and these guys who've now gone on to train all these other guys. So you can trace it right back to that. But yeah, we, we finished the nine holes at Rockport. It turned out, you know, they, they thought it was good. We actually did a second nine holes there immediately after. So it was 18 holes. The guys and I were kind of tiptoeing along, but we were, I guess, uh, I guess you could say we were officially in the golf course design business. I asked Rod Whitman for his thoughts on Rockport, the first original Bill Core design. I loved Rockport. It was a great little setting in a, in a small town. And uh, yeah, every day you get up, you just want to play golf. And it was, it was a lot of fun. I could see where anybody looking at it, knowing that it was new, say, man, that's pretty classic. Rockport was good enough to get that team some attention, but according to several potential clients, they were missing something. One most memorable story, at least to me, happened in Houston, Texas, uh, with a man who was a very uh, successful real estate developer. He had a nice, beautiful office on, I guess, what at the time was uh, the tallest building in Houston. He goes, Bill, he said, I've seen your golf course in Rockport. It's really good. He said, it's really good. He said, but nobody's ever heard of you. Nobody knows who you are. This business is about selling real estate. This is not so much about golf. If you walk in here tomorrow with Lee Trevino on your arm or Tom Watson or, you know, some somebody like that he said i'll hire you until then and he, he walked me over to the window of his high-rise office we looked down on the street he said until then until i can walk down there on that street and call out your name and people stop to look around to see where you are you don't get tired so 
well, why don't you do that? And I said, I, I just haven't really felt like, I said, we got a job, we got another job, we hopefully we'll get another one. I, I don't know, I just, it's just not something I've really given much thought to. He said, well, if you did, who would it be? You just referred to it, Matt, Ben had just won the Masters in 1984. And this probably was happening maybe the month or after that. Um, but I didn't know Ben. But I just, I'd read the articles in the magazines where Ben's talking about golf and golf architecture. I just said, well, I guess, I guess there were going to be anybody be Ben Crenshaw. The guy looked at me and he just goes, God almighty, Bill. He said, I know Ben. He said, he's as romantic and naive as you are. He said, the two of you guys together would be a disaster. <laughs> so then along comes Charlie Belair, another wealthy Texas businessman who had some land on the Gulf Coast. He wanted to have Bill Core, and again, a well-known player, take a look. And although he still didn't know him, Bill floated the idea of Ben Crenshaw again. But Bill's first visit to that land was by himself. As for his first impressions of the potential project? Matt, it wasn't going to happen. It's just one of the worst sights you'd ever see. It went underwater, saltwater, tide. So, I mean, it wasn't going to happen. Bill had seen enough, and he left town. Charlie calls me back and he says, Bill, can you come down here? Ben Crenshaw is going to come down here. I want I want you guys to look at this. He was still hopeful. I know I go down the Gulf Coast. Ben comes over. Ben looks at the site in a nanosecond. You know, Robin Williams would say, no, we're not building a golf course. <laughs> but that man did, at least from my side of the equation, he's the one uh, who who got us together. That day, uh, we, you know, we met for the first time. We ended up that afternoon going over to Rockport. It was really close. And Ben and I walked the holes at Rockport. Hey, I mean, I'm walking with, with Ben Crenshaw, the master champion. Now, I'm, not thinking, I'm not thinking about any of this. It's just, oh, I hope you like the course. And I looked at that golf course and I, there was, there was something totally different about what I saw. It was interesting. It was natural. It looked like it sprang right out of the ground. And it had a, it had a particular appeal to me. And I thought, wow, this, is, this guy has a really sense of feel of the atmosphere or where he's working. About this time, Crenshaw had just left IMG and had hired his childhood friend and business partner, Scotty Sayers, as his manager. Sayers recalls seeing Ben when he got back to Austin. Um, he walked into the library at his house after spending the day with Bill and uh, Julie was in there. And I've seen him excited, but this was one of the most exciting times uh, for him just because he really didn't have a partner or didn't have a plan on how to get into the business. They had met, there was interest, and in Ben's mind, it was a done deal. It was, it was just unbelievable how this happened. 1985. 1985 is when we decided to make a go at this. and That was the year I married Julie. So 
I made two really good decisions. <laughs> and I remember Julie when I came back, and I, I, you know, I was God, I was playing. I was still going to play tournaments. And I said, Julie, I, I've made a decision. I said, I'm, I'm going to. Bill Coor and I are going to form a partnership, and she said, well, "Why in the world are you doing that? You're you're a player." And I said, "You're going to have to trust me on this, Julie." <laughs> and I was thinking, "Wow, what? Are you kidding?" Um, and I was like, "Are you sure you want to do this? You know, because uh, he he was struggling with his health, struggling with his game." Uh, we just got married. We weren't even certain if he was ever going to play competitive golf again. In 1985, Ben Crenshaw missed the cut in 13 of his first 19 tournaments. He was eventually diagnosed with what's called Graves' disease, an overactive thyroid. He could not break 80, could not putt, could not chip, could not just play terrible golf, blamed it on stress. Uh, lost like 30 pounds. Instead of Sports Illustrated putting him on the cover for winning the Masters, they were like chasing him on the golf course because he was shooting 80 and missing cuts. And it was horrible, horrible, horrible. It was sad and horrible. And I mean, he really, we had no idea if he was gonna ever compete. And so when we got married in November, they did a blood test on him and checked his, they were like, your thyroid's huge. Well, it was off the charts. So they gave him radioactive iodine to kill it. And um, they said, six weeks later, you should feel better. Six weeks to the day, he finished tied for six at the US Open at Shinnecock. And we skipped around that place like he had won the tournament. I remember Ray Raymond winning and we were like, well, we won. You're, you're back. You are back. Four weeks later, he won the Buick Open. And then he was off. So he took, you know, took a gamble on getting married to me, took a gamble on Bill, and, you know, didn't know if he was going to get better. But it all worked out. And he did get better, thank goodness. So who and what gets credit for this chance encounter? Pete Dye, of course. But they couldn't have done it without Rockport Country Club. I mean, there's no question that the routing there, uh, very traditional, and not much distance between the going from the green to the tee, easily walkable course, very interesting, uh, good bunker work, and and it was it was early Bill Coor, but you could sure see what was gonna be in his mind in the future as he designed courses, and sure that's where Ben. Uh, really, really was hooked on Bill Coor. And they probably wouldn't have met without Rod Whitman. They just seemed like they they would become pretty good friends. You know, they're they're both at the same sort of age and 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 mental stability, if I can call it that. You know, they they just uh, they just they're. I, I I thought that they'd get along very well, and and uh, you know could talk architecture on a level that that made some sense and, and just had a feeling. And apparently this doesn't happen without some perseverance by Ben Crenshaw. And I'll, I'll confess, I was the one who pursued Bill in the deal. Bill was not interested in 
partnering up with anyone. And I, I think, of, I don't know, a month or two, maybe three months went by. And I, I it got to where I'm, I may have tried to talk him into it. And he, he wasn't really interested. And, you know, I kind of, I kind of you know, I can understand that. And when I, it finally he came around and he said, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we could give this a go. Well, this is beginning to sound like a fairy tale, you know. We met in 84. Um, and then over a period of, of over a year, I mean, significantly over a year, we would just occasionally get together or we'd have phone conversations about golf architecture. Ben would call sometimes, have you ever seen this or that, you know, the course and, and things. But there was never really this great game plan to make this happen. And as Ben... As Ben said, he he um, he <laughs> he likes to take the blame, I guess, for us being together. I think he pursued it. It was awfully nice of him uh, to, to say that. I don't. It it was just such a a natural evolution. But at some point in time, Matt, and I can s sincerely say, there wasn't this great dinner. There wasn't this great whatever. There wasn't too many beers out someplace and then said, let's do it. It just evolved. And we said, let's try some of this together. F-A-T-E. In retrospect, I look back on it and <laughs> fate had a fickle hand in all this. I've had some nice things happen to me in my career, and this, this is one of them. In part two, which will go live in a week, we're taking this partnership all the way to Sand Hills in Nebraska, the sand-based trampoline that vaulted these guys into another atmosphere of architecture. Are you looking for good value on great golf apparel? As a listener to this podcast, my friends John Ashworth and Jeff Cunningham at Link Soul in Oceanside, California are offering you a 25% discount on all future orders of what I wear all day, every day, on and off the course. Whenever you go to linksoul.com, just use promo code MATTYG25, M-A-T-T-Y-G-25. Thank you for listening to The Fire Pit. It's produced by Alex Upegi. It's edited by Rex Lint. The theme song is by Joe Horowitz. Please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, and we might track you down and send you one of our new Imperial Rope Hats. Got a question, comment, or a story for us to track down? You can find me on Twitter at Matt Janella or on Instagram at Matt underscore Janella. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to The Fire Pit on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to a story like this one. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is where we post portions of our podcast and add some visual surprises.